Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, mystery and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of running a creative business in this challenging world. We'll hear from the people who make this possible, the authors, the cover designers and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast Book Show from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Welcome to the Hobcast Book Show, episode 112. 112? Who'd have thunk it? Well, I would have thunk it, because we've done 111 of them before that. But it's uh, great to be with you. My name's Adrian Hobart. My name's Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobart Books, which is a UK independent publisher of the following four genres. Thrillers. Mysteries. Suspense. And crime. Well, thank you for joining us on the show and our guests this week are Sam and Barry Hall, who run Wordsmithery. They do, in Kent. Yes, in the Medway area of Kent, uh, providing uh, opportunities for people to rediscover their love of literature, of writing, and have encouraged thousands of people to express their thoughts on paper. They're just such generous people, aren't they? They With are. their time and their energy and their creativity. They're wonderful to speak to. Yeah, it was really great. So Sam and Barry Hall joining us from Wordsmithery and Kent a little later in the show. Now, normally we talk about publishing news at this stage. Well, yes, but there's been something that has dominated the news What in every element of the news. This week in the UK, the big media story... Uh, People, I can hear them sighing already. Are you still there, people? <laughs> yeah, please stay with me. But, you know, people have been asking me, as a former BBC Sport manager, about the Gary Lineker situation. And I'm trying to find a quick way of explaining it. If you don't follow the story and understand its context, then it's quite hard to do quickly. But essentially, Gary Lineker is the BBC's highest paid television star. £1.35 million a year. So he's paid he's the highest of everyone? Oh, by miles. By miles. They, yes. I must admit, that that surprises me, because um, I would have thought it would be someone on the news. No, um, they, 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 they're certainly paid in the hundreds of thousands, most of them. Um, but Gary Nicker is by far the highest paid. Right, OK. Now, he's uh, a national icon for his football with England, a former England captain, uh, he has uh, had a long association with a certain crisp brand for many, many decades. Um, basically, Karen Lineker, everyone in the UK knows who Karen Lineker is. He works for the BBC, has done for over 30 years now, I think. Um, I certainly was around uh, around the time that he gave up football as a player and joined the BBC. So maybe maybe nearer 25 years yeah still quite a long time a long time yeah. he's certainly presented um, match of the day for nearly 20 years and match of the day is the highlights program on a saturday night that reflects the football in the premier league and it's one of the crown jewels of the bbc well how many years has match of the day been running Do well you know? on and off you see it's very hard for me to to say it's it's, it's about Whenever they started doing televised football in the 60s. So we're talking about so 60 years. Very or so. long running. But the thing is, 
it depends if you've got the Premier League rights because ITV had them for a period as well. Yeah. Um, match of the day fell silent as a result. So it is a very important plank of the BBC's offer. They spent £70 million a year on those rights. And to put that in context, I worked it out, fag packet calculation. You did, yeah. That accounts for 5% <laughs> of the income coming in from the licence fee. Because people in the UK, well, if you know me, you'll all know this. If you have a television, you have to pay a licence fee. Yeah. It's £155.50-odd pence uh, a year at the moment. Um, and with that comes certain obligations. And one of the key planks of the BBC that separates it from other broadcasters pretty much anywhere else in the world is the emphasis on the BBC being impartial. Now, people will be scoffing and laughing darkly about that because it's become extremely partial in a number of areas, especially in recent years. However, it is something that the current director general, the head of the BBC, the executive head of the BBC, wants to improve. His name is Tim Davey. And... Um, and one of the areas he's most concerned about is people's use within the BBC of social media to express their opinions on subjects which will uh, strengthen the argument against the BBC for not being impartial. And that is something that Gary Lineker has a very long, strong track record of doing, of commenting on public issues, particularly around politics and society. And he has a particularly strong well so he would say a human angle but other people would say left-wing angle on certain issues and this week he compared the government's new policy on the illegal immigrant bill or uh, uh, immigration bill or whatever it was called uh, certainly illegal was in it um as being akin to the words used by germany in the 1930s, i.e. the Nazis. Well, his argument would be, though, that as an individual, and he has strong feelings about certain things, and this being one of them, he has the right to freedom of speech to express his opinion. Up to a point. If you're taking £1.35 million of public money in the form of licence fee payers, then uh, and the BBC's impartiality is its central plank, the most important thing it holds dear, then I think that there are certain obligations that come with it. And I think that certainly as a staff member and as a manager, I spent a lot of time having to pull people up for breaking the guidelines as they exist and have changed in recent years, but about what you can talk about and how you can talk about it on Twitter and other forms of social media. So to compare a new policy from the government as being like Nazi Germany um, is very, very strong. Yeah. By anybody's standards, but somebody as highly paid and as as uh, significant as Gary Lineker, it comes with a, a you know a lot of extra responsibility. What happened then was the government, uh, you know, launched a huge number of MPs to the airwaves and to the newspapers saying this is outrageous. He must be sacked. And eventually, after three or four days, with the story just gathering momentum and Gary Lineker digging in on Twitter, thanking people for their support and saying that he was going to present the program come what may this Saturday. The BBC suspended him late on Friday. And the the, the tsunami of reaction after that mm. was that almost everybody involved in the program withdrew. That's all the, the former England players that provide punditry. The commentators refused to work. The production staff 
um, wanted to strike. All the radio programs involving sport yesterday were taken off it as well, including the ones that were were due to go out to the World Service audience that I used to uh, manage on behalf of. And further programs were affected today. It was it was essentially a, a wildfire, wildcat strike. So I suppose the central question here then: Who suffered the most through that? What happened yesterday? The audience. Yeah, but who cares about the audience? Well, unfortunately, I think that one thing that you constantly have to remind people is that you're not doing this job for yourself. Mm. You're doing it for an audience, and quite uh, that gets lost very, very quickly. It did get lost completely. Oh, totally. And, um, you know, indeed, the BBC should have anticipated there would be a reaction. I don't think they expected it to be this strong from their staff or indeed the, the, the highly paid talent who go on the programmes. Um, and they are very well paid, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, not, it's pocket money to people who've earned millions as footballers. So they can make that decision. But quite a number of my colleagues of my age group decided they needed to work yesterday, but it was younger staff who pulled the rug within who felt very strongly on the freedom of speech thing because they've grown up with social media and they feel very strongly that they should be able to say what they damn well please and represent themselves first and foremost rather than the job that they get paid to do and this is the this is the challenge and this is where Gary Lineker comes in I think in the sense that he feels an obligation to his 8.5 million Twitter followers it strikes me a stronger obligation to them than perhaps to the BBC audience and the people who who pay part of his very, very considerable fortune. I think the balance has tipped, hasn't it, over the last few years? Because when social media began, and this isn't just the BBC, but I know that companies um, had to come up with policies for what their employees could say on social media. You know, there were cases of people slagging off their boss on oh, yeah. social media and then getting the and sack still, and, and still, things like that. And still, and still this happens. Still this happens. and Well, it happens more. Well, and there are also people who've been sacked for expressing... Um, let's say strong Christian beliefs and they've been you know sacked for that from British Airways or whatever because you know organisations like the BBC any major organisation is concerned about its public image and anything that, that that damages that is something that they feel very strongly about and they, they, they do act against their staff but the BBC's issue is that you've got a bunch of people who basically want to express themselves. That's why we go into the into the industry. But somewhere along the line, and this is something I was fighting very hard, the old values that I was when I first got in there in the mid nineties, impartiality, representing different points of view in any uh, news or uh, current affairs output that I created or anyone created. We were we were scrutinised very heavily editorially to make sure that we were being impartial, that we weren't actually offering an opinion. We were offering other people's opinions, but we weren't expressing our own. That has completely gone away now in terms of there's no discipline on that at all. People nowadays in the modern world want, you know, feel they have the right to say what they damn well please and damn the rest. And then the rest of the world now looks at that and says, well, we don't agree with you, we cancel you, and all this sort of thing is going on. But I do think when you're the most high profile of the BBC's presenters, no matter the fact that you present sport, if you enter, a, as regularity does, political debate, it encourages 
the people who are out there trying to damage the organization and shut it down because that's what is on the agenda at the moment in terms of not just reducing its money but actually taking away the license fee altogether which could happen in 2027 when when it comes to charter renewal the bbc has to protect itself to some extent and it needs to employ people who understand that they have an obligation to the organization that pays them a and b particularly to the audience that pay for it yes so the audience who pay for it lost out because of this yeah absolutely and i think there was a there was a cascade of people who who decided to withdraw their (laughs) labor because they didn't want to be seen to be breaking it's the old thing of you know uh that you know you didn't want to cross a picket line in the past yes but i have to say that They've never had any problems when there's been an official strike at the BBC over pay, conditions, Which, pensions, whatever else has happened. Loads of people turned up for that. They wouldn't lose a day's pay for that. Um, when actually, you know, I just don't understand why they've, they've taken such strong action well, this time. a perspective issue, isn't there? Because, you know, protesting or, or withdrawing your labour over this compared to paying conditions, which affects everybody in the organization it mm. doesn't make sense to me yeah i find that really hard well then, uh, yeah i think it, the other thing i would say is you know this is a fault of decades of of management style within the bbc and i i probably have been guilty of this to to a degree myself but when it comes to on air talent particularly those who've developed their fame and and, and reputation and their uh profile in other spheres, they are allowed to dictate terms in a way that people who are BBC staff should not and are not, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So, uh, for instance, um, the BBC football team who run the football TV coverage have always treated their on-air staff, the talent, Lineker, Shearer, whatever, whoever it might be, and singling out anybody in particular, but they're all treated like royalty. And they are protected. And they jealously guard access to these people in a way that other bits of the output and other audiences never got access to to speak to. You know, we could never approach an Ian Wright or an Alan Shearer or a Gary Lineker for a comment on on a story for our BBC World Service audience, because it wasn't regarded as important enough. And in a sense, this is a hubristic moment where that culture around that particular team has this, this is, you know, they've treated, you know, they've, they've basically danced around the egos of these people for, for a long, long time and refused to bring them into line. Yeah. And, like... and so now when they do need to bring them into line, they're being ignored. It's basic basic parenting, isn't it? Well, essentially, yeah. yeah. It but, is. Do you know, I was also just thinking about the fact that it doesn't matter how high profile you are. You There are compromises you have to make in your choice of job. So the teachers at the school that my boys go to, mm. they're not allowed to give away their political views in lessons. Whatever subject they teach. doesn't matter mm. if they teach government politics or physics. They're not supposed to. Yeah. So why is that different? Then they accept that compromise. They want to teach. That's that's their passion. So they accept the compromise that they lose yeah. the ability to express themselves when something happens in the outside world. I totally agree with you. 
totally agree with you. You know, working for the BBC comes with certain obligations and restrictions. And it should do, but it hasn't. Because social media, excuse me, has smashed up that culture. And frankly, the BBC have allowed that to develop. And I, I, the, another point I used to have loads of arguments about was with people not as famous as Lineker, but nonetheless people with significant Twitter followings because they were leading journalists or whatever it was, breaking stories on Twitter, first and foremost, making sure their audience on Twitter got to hear this thing, where it's the BBC's paying them to be at the event where this new story is breaking. Mm. And we're having to find out what they know through watching their Twitter no, account. See, that's not right, is it? Which is crazy. Yeah. They should, the first obligation should be to email or phone the office and say, here's the breaking story. This is what I found out. Get this on air. But as soon as social media has taken over, they've started to do that. And that's more important to them to keep their Twitter. And you would often hear, this is a phrase I would always hear. No, I'm not prepared to do that because it will upset my Twitter following. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, it's it, that's honestly what, that was an argument leveled all the time. Or, I'm sorry, I haven't got time. I've got to do a live thing with some Twitter thing. I mean, you know, this needs a complete shake-up. And I'm very glad I'm not in, in yeah, involved in any of this at the moment. I really am. I'm just delighted to not have been in there this weekend trying to sort this well in some respects one one reason why you are out of that is because you as an individual now you have the freedom i can say these things and i'm saying it from and i know you know i don't know linica well but i know most of the other principals involved in this situation or have, have rubbed shoulders or certainly within bbc sports management i know exactly who the figures are that are wrestling with this um and none of this surprises me it's been brewing for years and this was always going to be an issue and uh, I don't know how it's going to get resolved successfully if at all well I have to thank Gary Lineker and the BBC for giving me an opportunity that I never thought I'd ever get well yeah I don't think many people ever anticipated this being the case but if you were expecting to watch match of the day with all I mean as we've explained everybody involved in the production pulled out yesterday so BBC was left with well, in the end, they showed 20 minutes of match highlights purporting to be match of the day without any analysis, any commentary on it, except one match, which was Bournemouth against Liverpool. And what a match it was. And the commentary <laughs> is brought to you from the Vitality Stadium by Rebecca Collins. Right, so it's Bournemouth against Liverpool. Bournemouth are at the bottom of the league and a man with orange on his feet has just, oops, and oh, nearly a goal by someone with a head. And uh, Bournemouth are kicking it again. He's got orange feet and uh, it's gone off. So some bloke, number eight for Liverpool, who beat Manchester United last week, 7-0. That was quite a match. And Bournemouth have got the ball. Oh, no, yeah, and oh, Bournemouth has still got the ball. The little white men, they're running, they're running. Oh, no, the man in red. He's got, oh, he's going to score, he's going to score. I think he's going to score past the green man. Oh, is it a goal? We missed. No, we missed. Odango oh, missed. So, and then, oh, uh, the white men have got it again. No, the red man, the red man. The red man is going to try again. He's going to try again. And is he going to go to the we missed. Oh, oh, that man looks a bit cross. Oh, no, head in his hands. He's not happy. Right, so uh, Red Men have got it again. That's Liverpool, isn't it? Red Men. No, that's Bournemouth. Oh, I've got the wrong way around, sorry. So Bournemouth 
And Bournemouth, he's going to score. He's definitely going to score this time. Oh, well, what was that? The goalie wasn't even watching. Duh. And the men are hugging because they're happy. And we're back in the match again. They don't have any breaks, do they? Well, this is a, a, a replay. Oh, it's a replay. Of course it is. I knew that. And they're going to score again. Another goal. There's two. Two goals? No, no. It's a replay of the, of the goal. Oh, from a different angle. See, it's slow motion. Different. Three goals. Oh, my God. <laughs> the men are happy. Oh, and he's going to kick it to a whole wall of men. And they're all going to try and head it. And it's in the goal. It's missed. No, it's missed. It's hard to see when it goes in the net or doesn't go in the net. Just wide. Just wide. So I was just wide. Right, the, the white men, which are Liverpool, aren't they? The white men of Liverpool. Number 20, he's going to... Oh, and the yellow bloke has hit it out. Oh, no. Well, that that's was close. Well, yes, that's called a save. Yes, that's a save from the yellow bloke. Yellow bloke has saved it again. I think you've got to get more used to the replay <laughs> element of the of Oh, my the God, it's going to be almost identical. Oh, it's gone over the top of the goal. I mean, he missed. Oh, dear. And the man in blue is getting harassed by all the white men. Well, that's the referee and Liverpool objecting because they think there's a handball there. Oh. See oh. that? Hits his, it does oh. hit, hit his forearm. Oh, and the man in blue. And he's blue. given a penalty. A penalty. I like those. They're fun. Right. Now, this is Mohamed Salah. A, a very fuzzy man is going to hit it and he missed. It's one of the worst penalty take <laughs> of all time. Look at that. He missed it by... He's but almost the, hit the corner flag. But the yellow man went bad. the other way. Oh, that was bad. I could do better than that. That was terrible. So Bournemouth 1, Liverpool 0 at the moment. That is the final score. And that's the final score and that's the end of the match. That was a quick match. Yeah, I had to get involved somewhere along the line because, I mean... Yeah, you kept... Yes, you did. You kept I'm so correcting sorry. me. <laughs> well, look, you know, if it's going to a slow-mo in a different angle, that's a replay, not live action. <laughs> I honestly thought that they scored three goals in a row. <laughs> so exactly the same goals, just from a slightly different yeah, angle. Yeah, I did. I generally did. And I also got the, pl- the teams mixed up. But then again, I didn't recognise Stephen King, did I? So it's the same sort of problem. <laughs> yeah, okay. I get, I think it's a really, look, I, I've done some, I've commentated at two African Cup of Nations tournaments and finals um, and plenty of Premier League games in my, in my career. And it's a really hard job. The, 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 the amount of homework you have to do before a game. And that was without homework. So, in... Well, no, you, <laughs> you, you did your best at very, very short notice. I, I'm waiting for the phone to ring. Yes. Uh, well, you know, uh, Richard Hughes, who runs Match of the Day, might well be in touch. Oh, Rich. Yeah, I've already spoken to Rich. Yeah, Hughesy. <laughs> um, anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Well, well, just watch this space. But I'm sorry we're not talking about publishing this week, but I think that this is such an important media issue and people are sort of holding it up as a freedom of speech. Yeah, and it's just uh, kind of linked to... It's very complex. Yeah, it is very complex. But uh, at the heart of it all, there's a bunch of people who should know better. <laughs> The truth, the truth of it is. Okay, let's talk to two people who do know better. Sam and Barry Hall and their brilliant organisation, Words Mystery. It's been going for 10 years. They work around the Medway area of Kent, which is uh, places that you may have heard of, like Chatham, which had a fantastic royal dockyard uh, where HMS Victory was built. Uh, shut a few years ago now, sadly, but it's a brilliant museum. If you've never been, go there. Go to the Ropery. We, we went to the Ropery. Um, Rochester with its castle and its connections to Dickens and Gillingham, that sort of area on the River Midway itself, um, which was a very significant uh, river in the history of the Royal Navy. So uh, great to speak to them. They run these fantastic events, all sorts of big and small things, just one, one mission, which is basically to spread the word and get people writing. 
And it was a real pleasure to speak to them both. So let's talk to Sam and Barry Hall. What a great pleasure to be speaking to Sam and Barry at Wordsmithery. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. And first of all, I mean, the the obvious question is, when we're talking about Wordsmithery, what is your organisation? What do you do? Do you want to say? Well, um, there isn't anything really to do with words that we don't do. Uh, we, we we put on events uh, and have been doing for ooh, some 10 years or more now, mm. locally and beyond. Um, we publish things. Uh, we do workshops. Uh, we've done educational stuff. We've done writer, writer courses, things like that. Uh, I mean, it grew out of a writer's group called ME4 Writers. About sort of, um, I think that finally ceased to be um, in about sort of 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, when we brought our first book out and really sort of the people that had been involved in ME4 writers gradually fell away from it and it left us too, which is, you know, handy in some ways, you know, being married and all that. Um, but um, yeah, it's, we, we've, we've gone on and it doesn't, you know, if, if someone presents us with something that they'd like to do uh, that we hadn't thought of, we would more than likely up for it. Um, if it's something word related, Um except slams but you know there is a there's, there's always a possibility never say never, never, say never. Um, we'll have to think of a word related challenge then won't we, we will we, will. We'll, we we'll do word every day you know even even that even that is not beyond us well it's it's that's a very broad um spectrum of things you're doing there so which is the one that takes you it, it takes the most time well i mean increasingly so um over the last couple of years or so and you know it's 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 success related so we can't really complain about it um but the events that we've been doing locally have gradually been getting bigger and bigger um we started out just after lockdown um locally there's been a big thing around in our area in medway of the dickens festival for a very long time uh tried and trusted formula all of this sort of stuff councils come councils go but it's always there um Obviously, during uh, during the egg years, um, we we didn't sort of have anything going on, and right after that had happened, this sort of came to us. Could you uh, go about six weeks? Can you get something done for the? Can we do it at the castle? Yeah, fine. Yeah, all right. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, so we called in a lot of favors uh, and got an open air sort of festival in Castle Grounds done for August Bank Holiday. And of course, as we know about August Bank Holiday in England, it was basically a typhoon. Uh, <laughs> you know, we are actually a bit of an albatross um, weather-wise. If we do anything outdoors, we do tell people, if you want us to do this, you realise that there'll be hailstones, even if it is July. Um, but we survived and it went off very well in the end. You know, we, we, we commissioned a lot of people to do stuff and it worked off very well. Led to a two-day thing the following year with more people brought in from outside, making it a bit more of a thing. Still outdoors in Castle Moat. This year, we are now regaled with the t- title Medway River Lit, featuring the Dickensian Weekend. Wow. Oh, well, uh, so so that's, that's yeah. quite a short period of time to, you know. Yeah. She's now, that's going to last from June the 2nd till June the 11th, but it's a bit elastic either side uh, because some people are quite important and busy and we'd like them to do it, but they're not available during that time span. Um, so therefore, they get to fall a little bit outside because we like them and they're popular. <laughs> that's brilliant uh, and and you know that that that'll do it for us you know so long as it's not september or anything you know we you know we, we're good that's amazing so i mean how many 
I mean, how many people would be coming to an event of that scale? Because that sounds massive. Coming to it. Mm. Um, I mean, we're helping thousands. Many as possible. Yeah, we're helping. <laughs> we're helping thousands over the ten days. Really? Uh, I can't say they'll all be individual people. It might be, you know, Stan Stan from Rochester might go to like thirty things, but mm. you know, we're counting him thirty times. That's fine. Isn't it? <laughs> sure, that's what you mean. Yeah, that's yeah, that's what you that, meant. That's, then, that's, that's all right. I thought I mean, you meant right. busloads. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we we we'd, we'd hope. I mean, we've we've got some pretty decent people on. Um, I mean, from the poetry side of things, John McCulloch's coming, and he's he's quite the phenom uh, in English poetry uh, over the last few years. You know, you can't you, if you wanted to get someone to headline your poetry day, you couldn't do any worse than that. Uh, you, you, well, you couldn't you couldn't do any better, I should say. Uh, <laughs> not that the wrong way around. You know, he's, he, he'd understand if he heard me. He knows I messed my words. That's poetry um, for you. you know. Yeah, it's, there's no rules. There's no rules. You know. I, 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 Exactly. Rules are breaking. Um, yeah, so you know we've 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 got that going on um, on other days. Sage sort of uh, from the, on the novelist front. We've got Ben Aronovich coming one day. Oh wow! Mm. Uh, yeah. He always he always draws a crowd because um, in my in my day job I work for Medway Libraries as well. Oh, oh, right. Okay. We, we, oh gosh, you are a busy boy. <laughs> we have that connection. <laughs> we have that connection through there as well. I've got I wear two hats at work an awful lot. Um, you know, if there's an event in the evening, it's a question of who I'm actually working for. Yeah. Uh, on some occasions, but yeah. So we've 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 got some quite attractive names lined up for it, and we're hoping. I mean, you know, it's the first thing like this that Medway's done in 25 years, as far as we can tell. Um, there, there was um in in '98 there was a Rochester and Medway as it was in those days, for as an authority, it didn't even exist at that point. Yes. Um, Rochester and Medway Film, it, Rochester and Medway Film and Literature Festival, it was called, um, and that featured all the all the names around at the time, Billy Childish and all of that. Yes. Um, and you know, we we've we've sort of looked around. There's been there's been this and that. There, there was a Rochester uh, Literature Festival, uh, which became more specialised in crime crime fiction pretty quickly, but for the sort of thing we're doing, there hasn't been that for. Decade, two decades and a half. So it, you know, we we can only hope that what we've done uh, is going to float people's boats and they'll all come and see it. Yeah, uh, and always we'll do our best you got, to get them there. You got, got a moat. Well, no, but yeah, no, you got Chatham, <laughs> Chatham Royal Docks the other side of. Oh, the... <laughs> because it's a castle has a moat. Um, which uh, which we visited, but um, that's really encouraging to hear because yeah. you know. It, it's good to see something expanding and, and, and building from strength to strength in the festival Especially sphere. Especially since... Because, okay. let's be honest, we've reported on this podcast quite a few po- uh, festivals falling by the wayside. And so, I mean, clearly you're going to get people coming along and we hope in thousands. But where does the support come from for you to be able to, to take these risks and, and do this? Well, I mean, it is backed. It is backed by Medway Council. It's their, mm. it's their baby. Essentially, Dickens Festival was always run by them, mm-hmm. um, and this is now. I think what they wanted to do was get back to a more literature-based festival. Yeah, I think it's the literary connection that uh, they were the, looking at. Yeah, it had got a little bit. Um, let's all play dress up for a weekend, which is <laughs> fine and fun, and it is fun. It's it is it's it's, it's great, especially when the steampunks come. Yeah. Uh, and they are really into their Dickens because it's not widely known that in his early writings, he was very, very much in that vein. 
right um with the mechanical policeman and all that sort of stuff in the mudfog papers and stuff like that mm. uh they they know they know their books really well you know they're they're act- they may be dressed as a mechanical policeman there's a man who does this every year <laughs> uh, uh but um they also they know they know what's on the page that's why they're so authentic in doing what they do but they wanted i think they wanted more they wanted more book content yeah and i think it's know. also a chance for us to showcase that medway has got a lot of people doing literary stuff now it has sure. got writers it has got um several open mic spoken word nights um and it's just a way to kind of celebrate not only the past of the area and its literary heritage but also going forward to you know invite people in and say look maybe you've not thought about writing as a career but maybe that's something you could do in the future um we've got people that live here that we can't mention yet because they're not confirmed but hopefully some really big names that might be part of the festival so it should be good that's fantastic i i i so, uh, as ever with these interviews, something pops into my head, so I'm going to ask it. Um, Light bulb moment. Well, no, it was, it's not so much that. It's just a little, a faint memory of, I mean, the the the, the way that the area has changed in the Medway area with HS1, with the high-speed trains, that, uh, and now you've got quick services into St Pancras, I believe, uh, for, the, for your local trains. Um, yeah. That has made... I mean, has that changed the demographic in terms of the sort of people coming out of London to enjoy what is a, it's a very beautiful part of the country you're in uh, and very authentic, some fantastic buildings as well. Mm. Um, has that drawn some of, say, the literary set or the artistic community out of London? Uh, so they could live. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in a way that Brighton yeah, took off many, many years ago. Yeah, yeah I mean, it does. It does um, both in the sort of for the day to come and see something and to relocate here yeah um i mean there's a phrase that's used locally of dfl which is down from london which is sometimes used in a derogatory manner mm. uh but it, it it sort of it, it does it has changed the makeup of it i do think you know there's an awful lot of stuff that's come out from london a lot of the people that we work with regularly um who you assume are locals because i've only lived around here for about 12 years um that they've always been here, but actually, when you talk to them, they're from Deptford, yeah, uh, or something like you know. But I mean, whatever point in their life they've come down the river to to Medway, that's that's where they started out. And I think I think it's been a, a progress which has been going on over a lot of years um, as London spreads out. You know, it's, it's become almost a sort of truism. If you want to find Cockneys, you go to Essex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> true. You, because you won't. I, I used to live in Acne, and you won't find them there. Mm. No, um, and this you know you you will you will more likely find that out in Rochester High Street on a Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I moved um, I moved from London probably about fourteen years ago, and when I yeah. got here, there was I was frustrated because I couldn't find any literary stuff going on. So I set up ME4 Writers, um, and I was also doing another project which is kind of more national, which was called Seventeen Percent, which was an organisation to support and promote female playwrights. Um, and so I was doing events sort of in London and Whitstable and various other places for that yeah um and so this the kind of the more modern um literary scene has kind of like developed quite sort of slowly and naturally over the last 10-ish years I'd say yeah yeah I mean yeah. It's, there's always been people around doing stuff it's just to become better at finding each other and mm. grouping together and doing it together um but I it like sounds to- like you've been that 
you know, you the, the glue that binds in a way. Yeah, like, gone I like out and, and brought this community together. I mean, there's been other people that do stuff. Uh, two good friends of mine, David and Bethany, they run they run Big Trouble, which is a great night that runs every month in in the hinterland between Rochester and Chatham, known as Intra. I think technically they're in Rochester, and some people this really means a lot to. Which side of that line they actually fall on? <laughs> really? um, yeah. It truly does. There was a church there. Apparently, you could get married in it. You walk in one end, you're actually walking down the aisle in Rochester, but you actually get married in Chatham because, <laughs> the, because the church is half in one and half in another, and it really matters to a lot of people. But anyway, digression, digression. Uh, yeah, they, <laughs> they run a, they run a great then. night. They run a great night called Big Trouble, which is on, and we'll be featuring a version of that within Riverlit because you know. If there's something great that's already going on locally, why don't you just, you know, have it within your festival as well? Because, you know, it's like otherwise you're just ignoring that they're there. Mm. Um, same with another one that's done by called Kent Dreams. Uh, Nathaniel and Sean run that one. Um, and, you know, we're hoping they're going to do a version of that. But as, as a friend of ours who's got a sort of teenage son who wants to get into a spoken word was saying... There isn't much opportunity for someone who's a teenager to do that yeah. in the area because they're all in pubs. Mm. Um, of course, and, yes. You, know, you and I, possibly a long time ago before Challenge 25 was a thing, <laughs> wouldn't have had too much of a problem with that. But nowadays, Fake it's just ID. not happening. Didn't even need that. <laughs> Didn't even need that in York City Centre in the 1980s, I can guarantee you. Um, and, and yeah, so we we thought, yeah, okay, well, why don't you do a version of that that's more daytime orientated, that's in a cafe, that's not in a pub? Because they normally do it in the vaults, in, in the vaults of a pub in Rochester High Street. So it's okay, bring it into the daytime. We'll invite 14 to 18 year olds. And, you know, we've been told that there's a lot of people out there would like to do this. Well, okay, here's an event. You can come do it. Um, and we don't need to do that because we don't, we, we're not the ones who normally run this. Sean and Nathaniel do that. So off you go, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, but uh, that that's fantastic. I mean, I must admit, I hadn't thought about that, but it's it's a it's a good point, isn't it? You know, people of that age, they have to wait till they're eighteen, and until the very least, till you they look about twenty three. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if they ID on them, you know, and it's a bit ridiculous. I mean, there's no need, there's no reason why it needs to be like that. So we we sort of, and who knows if that takes off, they might continue to do more of them. Mm. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. What's the when did that motivation to encourage people to write to for you both, when did that come from? It's really difficult to say. I mean, I used to work in publishing and journalism mm. um, and I started running a few courses for people at work. And I, I guess I kind of, I, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed kind of helping people to bring something out of them, themselves because it so it was like sort of creative writing courses for people at work so it was like using creativity at work um yeah and I just really enjoyed that so I guess that's it's probably just a continuation of that really mm. that's I mean that's that's an interesting thing because I, I I tried to do something similar in the broadcasting field with journalism and uh you know encourage people to love the word because you can easily write a one-minute uh, re- match report with every cliche known to man, and many people yeah, did. They still they do, but actually, yeah, they still do. And they, since I've gone, they're, they're doing it more. But it, it it is that thing of finding something original to say, and actually knowing what not to say, if you like, you know, 
because the, the yeah. pictures do it for you. But I, I, that was a passion of mine too. Um, and I used to encourage people to look at poetry, for instance, because they said, well, why do you, how do you get this rhythm going? And how do you get this sort of feel to your writing? And I said, well, you know, you just read more widely. And just you read, look at yeah. Poetry. <laughs> yeah. uh, get a feel for it. Get a feel for it. Don't be afraid. Because after all, when you're broadcasting, for instance, it's got a, you know, the words on a page are one thing, but coming out of someone's mouth is a different thing altogether for the ear. And so that's, this was a thing. But that's interesting, that, that passion. I mean, who, I mean, when you are working with, with potential writers and people, it, it's quite, we find this too, mm-hmm. it's really hard sometimes for people to get out of the way of themselves and let the words flow. Yeah. Is that what you they find? That reticence, don't they, to start mm. with? Self-editing and things like that. Yeah, it can be. Um, so we we kind of like just try and ease people into it, just do a few sort of fun, crazy little warm-up exercises like speed haikus, things like that, um, oh, yeah. so that everyone has a bit of a, a bit of a laugh at the beginning before we go into anything. Um, and... Yeah, we fa- we found that people do do really just like the chance to be given the permission just to write something, you know, because we always say you don't have to share it. It doesn't it doesn't matter. No one's going to see it. Just, you know, just have a go. Uh, and quite often they're really surprised at what they've come up with. They they take it on further. So they might develop it if it's uh, just the idea for a poem. Um, I've had people come up to be like days later and sort of just when I was in a in a in a shop and you know those are the great moments because people have come up and said oh you know that story I started on your course I've sent it to a magazine and it's getting published so that's the exciting things but then you've also got the sort of community engagement angle so about probably about 10 years ago we did a thing for a, a festival which is no longer called the Fuse Festival which was called the Word Shed and this was a tiny little one-person shed that we took to Rochester Castle, Gillingham High Street and Chatham High Street. People sat in it for up to six minutes and wrote something. And we had people coming back the next day because they loved it so much. We had parents that brought their children back just because they wanted to have a go again. And then still now, 10 years later, we've got a, a young man who's not so young anymore who keeps coming up to us and saying, when's the word shed coming back? I love so that much. idea. I totally love that idea. I think every festival should have a word shed. Yeah. People just to go and write for six thing. minutes. I love it. Not sure it'll work at yeah. download, but, you know, you know download? it's a it's a heavy metal festival. Oh. Yeah, it worked. <laughs> it, it used to be called Castle Donnington Monsters of Rock, and I went yes, every the one. That's the one, yeah. <laughs> yes. I think it would work it there. Would... I think I think that people, well, they, would, they would have that opportunity to just sort of six minutes of writing in a shed. I'd love, I think they'd love no, it. No, no, okay. I, I'm, all right. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give it to you. Or maybe maybe uh, a pristine toilet at, um, at Glastonbury. You have to, no, everyone to get, would get, use it to go to the toilet. Yeah, no, but they? to get to that you. Is, that you, that you, is a you, very, very nasty way to describe this spoken word stage at Glastonbury, I'll have you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but although, although a pristine toilet might actually be about, I don't, no, 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 nay. The writing nay. throne. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah that's that's brilliant i mean you know it, it is that's very inventive and so i guess the challenge you you you've got together is to keep thinking of original ideas to unlock and almost to keep yourself interested as well in the sense that 
you know, you can do something like that, uh, but then you've got to move on and, and, and keep challenging yourselves to find something fresh. Is that is that one of the big challenges? Yeah, I mean, I, I just like come up with loads of ideas. You know, we've been told off in meetings with people before because we've just come up with too many ideas. We haven't got jobs because of it. Yeah. They've, they've actually <laughs> said this is too much information. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just too much information. We, we, we just, they just wanted someone to come in and say, right, we're just doing this. Yes. Uh, and what we've always offered is people is kind of a salad you know so we could do any of these things you don't have to do all of them you just do any of them yeah um, and they, they can't always deal with that mm. no that's i mean that is true of organizations is it? they want to they want a one-stop solution yeah they don't they want they don't want to be creative they just want you to go and make make it mm. happen and, and solve it for them don't they yeah, I mean, I, I used to find that whenever I had a flight of fancy in a in a, in a BBC meeting, it was you know for. A You're going off the agenda sometimes, aren't you? Well, no, like... well, this is the thing that create for a creative organisation, it didn't have stifle creativity, that's for sure. Um, but that, I'm not I mean, going to say when... what job that was for or who it was that got the job, but I do know that they did get engaged to do it and produced nothing. <laughs> really, a big fat zero. I don't know if they were actually paid, uh, but we didn't get it, and the thing that was being commissioned never appeared um mm. and we was uh, coming out soon isn't it nah never <laughs> nothing nothing never really nothing, nothing happened whatsoever so sam yeah. and barry i mean when you're faced with a situation like that you you know the <sighs> part of you must be thinking well we could tone it down and just do it but you know but you, you what i'm getting from what you're saying is <laughs> that you're determined to be authentic come what may yeah. If it would bore us, we don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah, you've got to want we to do have it. To like everything, you know. I'm not particularly fussed about crime fiction, but we know that there's lots of people out there that are. So, I like crime you know, fiction. So we, so we're putting yeah. <laughs> so we, and I'll read it if it's Ben Aronovich. That's crime fiction. Yeah, it is. Even if it is with wizards. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, it's actually you know, some of it. I don't mind. I, I love I love a bit of ranking and all that. But a lot of the more generic stuff, I'm not too fussed on. And you know, we have it in the library, and it's massively successful. Yeah, some of these you know it though you could interchange you could interchange the name on some of these books because it's going to say basically the same thing in the same way and that's fine because the people who read it want it to be like that mm. otherwise it wouldn't work uh, so we've got a so we've got a um we've got a crime fiction panel that's on mm. in, in a library during the week and it's, it doesn't really matter whether, whether i would particularly read any of the books but we know there's lots of people out there that would and we just try to make it interesting um you know murderous medway as it is, <laughs> exactly. um, you know. so that's about cozy crime and the ex um police author lisa cutts is going to be hosting that if you know oh, her. i know the name yeah yeah i think she's coming on the podcast maybe yes oh, feeling yeah, <laughs> yeah we've, we've seen her at a previous event she was very very good and it's like whenever anyone's been any good at anything we remember them yeah. um and you know if it, if, it, if it comes around that we have an opportunity to sort of get in touch with them then we'll do it you know there's, there's been a few people that we've sort of encountered years and years ago where it's like you know if we ever get to do anything we'll give them a bell and we have you know and they're, they're going to be showing up in june you know some of yeah. them remember who we were and some of them didn't um but you know most, mostly they were like oh yes we remember you um <laughs> and uh and they're coming along She's good. Yeah. Well, Patrick Wright being one of them, who's coming to talk about his book about Sheppy, about Uwe Johnson and all of that. Yes. Now, um, you're not tempted to invite uh, one of the great modern Kent authors along. I don't know if you have. 
but his book is one of my favourites of recent years. I'm trying to work out who this is. Not Charles Dickens. No. <laughs> I've got news. About I've got Sean news Williamson, here. aka Barry from he's, EastEnders. He's well, here's the thing: there is yeah. there is a there is a social media post out there which does the rounds an awful lot called "When Barry Met Barry." <laughs> which come which comes up every year or two when we bumped into him at a festival in Canterbury. Ah, oh, right, uh, they're good. both wearing ridiculously loud shirts. Um, <laughs> doing the karaoke there, which which I didn't do in the end, but it nearly happened. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, I've actually I've yeah, spoken Sean, to Barry. Yeah, we'd have, we'd, have, we'd have Sean along to do something if we bumped into him. We'd have to find something for Sean to do. Well, I, I loved his book. It, I mean, for to put it in context, his book is about becoming um, a competitive quizzer. Uh, and trying to sort of rise up through the ranks of of British quizzing um, and the lengths he went to. And it's a fantastic book. It really oh, sorry, is. It's non-fiction, so he's, he's all right. Um, I used to run qu- pub quiz nights for a living. So Did you? I, oh. I, yeah, if, 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 it, if it was true to me when I read it, I wouldn't have any problems with him coming along to promote that. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 was, it was a terrific read. And, it's a and good book, isn't it? He, I mean, what I love about it is um, just the authentic um openness about when he has these he has some significant failings when it comes to subject areas or he goes to a great you know british quiz league thing and and super league whatever they call it and um he's up against the the uh the people who play uh the, the chase um oh, the, the governor he'll be up against the ju- yeah the chasers mm-hmm. that's right and 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 you know gets completely taken apart by them um it, it is fantastically funny he, and, and, and great on the chase yes he has and he won it he beat the chaser yeah my stepbrother beat the chaser on Did the it? Chase. Yeah. oh dave gorman there yeah. You go. Sorry. <laughs> yeah anyway we digress so there you go um and that's the if last wants to go on the chase song, if there's a tv celebrity that's clearly actually written their book oh, uh, yeah. then and it's and it's interesting then you know it's fine uh, look it out anyway it, i mean the thing that's an interesting thing you bring up there because yeah this is the thing that we we talk about this a lot on the podcast, and it's one of the, and, and I'm sure from a librarian point of view, mm. this is another thing. People are buying books or reading books or borrowing them from libraries, expecting the, the celebrity to have written them, and um, probably ninety percent of the time, that's not the case, is it? I mean, there's 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 a certain very prolific American writer of well, virtually every genre you can shake a stick at now, including young adult and children's. Um, who doesn't actually write any of his own books and has the nerve to run writing courses online um, and is getting to be a multimillionaire out of it. Um, and that's just how it is. Well, naming, there's probably lawyers out there. But you, can, <laughs> you can, you can, you can, you can probably guess who it is. Yeah. My head's churning at the moment. Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, first name, James. Hey, could be. Jimmy. Let's call him Jimmy. He's involved in the sketching out of what the basic story is. Yes. He doesn't write them. No. Well, in in fairness, um, I mean, Barry, yeah. I have to say that we've actually had one of his co-authors on the program, and he's taken yeah. us through the process. So I think we can we can safely say James Patterson runs an industry uh, yeah. and <laughs> hires loads of people. And look, I mean, to be fair to Brendan Dubois, who's an author I really like anyway of, of um, speculative fiction, uh, he ha- ha- it, it changed his life because the mm-hmm. money that brought in, yeah, um, allowed him to go full time again. And mm-hmm. you know, if it hadn't, he also won on the quiz thing he also won jeopardy over in the united states and took three hundred thousand dollars so that helps too i don't know if it's been a i don't know if it's been a change of culture in that industry that he runs 
or if there has been some legal um, some legal uh, ramifications from some of the co-writers. But I have noticed that co-names have started to appear on the books. Mm. They didn't used to. Um, yeah. I mean, not just the high-profile ones with Dolly Parton and Bill Clinton mm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the initial books, the, I mean, we, we know how they were being done, but the other writers' names did not appear on there. But they are doing so more and more now. Uh, they're being credited. Mm. Um, Which is a good uh, thing. It's a good yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm glad that's happening. Um, mm. I'm not entirely certain why it started, but it, it does seem to be a thing now. It does. You're right. It it, it is a thing, and um, yeah, there must have been something in the background that we don't know about. Yeah. But we actually had a ghostwriter on the podcast last week, didn't we? We did, and it was it was actually fascinating talking to her because um, I likened it to she's a portrait artist because she sits with the person mm. who's she's writing the book for. She tries to get into their head and to get their style of writing, mm. so she. Right, ask yeah. them. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how much the celebrity ones do that because she, she doesn't do <laughs> celebrities, does she? She does um, people who've got interesting stories, I suppose. Yeah. Um, From different backgrounds. Yeah. yeah. But so you're not tempted to get Katie Price along to something? <laughs> I, do you know, I, I actually, I'm, I'm totally okay with how she is about it because she totally owns it. She doesn't even pretend to have written it. No, quite. Half the time, she doesn't even pretend to have read them. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I can, you know, someone who's completely prepared to admit it—that's fine. I mean, mm. I don't think we probably would because it's a book festival. I'd be more interested in getting the person along who did write it, but they're probably not allowed to. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. You know, uh, it's the the idea of being a ghostwriter is that nobody knows who you are, by and large. Um, mm. So yeah, probably. I mean, there'd they, be a thing—a panel of ghostwriters. Yeah, that'd be fun. Be yeah. I really like that idea. <laughs> You could just With, have them silhouetted. Most writers in disguise. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. With sheets on the head and eyes cut out. <laughs> just like a, a sheet in front of them, yeah. Yeah, we could alter their voices. <laughs> or something. Like uh, on the Jeremy Carlson. Maybe have them as a shadow or something, yeah. like, you know. Oh, even it. a ghost festival. A whole festival de- devoted to ghost writers. Dressed as ghosts. You know, I bet it exists. If you can, if you can think about <laughs> yeah. it, if you can think of it, that's out there. Somewhere in Wisconsin or somewhere like that. That's too far away. (laughs) No, I mean, so um, in terms of uh, the courses that you run, because we were talking about the festival, and that's obviously a gateway for a lot of people to to mix and 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 actually hear from authors and get some inspiration. But in terms of the courses you run, I mean, what levels are are they pitched? Uh, How intensive are they? What are we talking? Uh, It it really. It really does depend on what we've been commissioned to do, really. So um, I've done quite a few introduction to playwriting courses because I'm, I'm a playwright, basically. Although I have, um, as I said to Barry the other day, I'm, I'm now having an, an affair with graphic novels. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've locked playwriting in the cupboard for the moment. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Tell me how. <laughs> yeah, so I mean it can it can completely like it can depend. It could be it could be like a one day intensive thing, it could be just a kind of two hour session. So as part of the um festival, we're doing quite a few sort of two hour taster workshops that will hopefully inspire people to have a go, but then hopefully take it away with them and do a bit more afterwards. So one really exciting thing that we'll be doing is Rochester Cathedral at the moment has got a really a 5,000 year old table 
made out of black oak, isn't it? It's the yeah, fen, 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 fen and black oak. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Um, and so we'll actually be doing a workshop on that table. So, wow. like, they get to touch the 5,000-year-old table um, and hopefully not put any pen marks on it. You're not going to graffiti? No, no permanent markers. This is the thing about ancient bits of, uh, bits of furniture. Um, if it's got graffiti on it from 1742, that's brilliant. Yeah. If it's got it from last week, that's not on. No, it's not. Yes. Doesn't matter yeah. how poetic it is, we're, we're not having that. No, not at it's, all. It's, it's, it's like the thing from Chinatown is like once it gets to 70 years old, it grows respectable. Mm. Uh, as I said about many things now. In terms People of. People too. I mean, you, yeah. so Sam, you're saying that um, you parked the playwriting for a bit. I mean, is there, is there any reason for that? Is that. Um, well, she's having an affair with graphic novels. I know, I appreciate, you know, and. and Quite and, well, apparently. And, you know, uh, and, 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 you know, we've been talking about, you know, affairs, the two of us today so you know it's trending on we did i'm joking i'm joking i'm joking no i mean it it, it, what's influenced that apart from obviously finding a new format and a new uh, genre to to work in is it uh anything to do with i mean because i I get the impression at the moment that getting something commissioned and actually put on is really difficult is that part of the part of the problem um it's not so much of that it's I mean, yeah, the bigger theatres, definitely. That's why I did 17%, because it was called 17% because only 17% of plays by women are performed in the UK. And that's yeah. actually kind of, it's wavered in the past sort of 14 years, round about that, but it hasn't got any better. No. Um, although it did look for a little while like it was getting a few percent better, but it's kind of slipped back now. But um, no, I just, I just kind of, I've always really liked comics and graphic novels. But I hadn't really sort of been conscious that I really liked them. And then when it was during the pandemic, I think we all had a chance to just have a little bit of a think about things, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And um, I got um, I got I got Arts Council funding for DYCP, Developing Your Creative Practice, to actually adapt a play that I'd written about human trafficking into a graphic novel. Um, so I started work on that and I've kind of been working on it for the past two years and it is, it's finished now. So I've, I've maybe got a few little final tidying up bits to do. But obviously during during that two years, I was looking at a lot of graphic novels. I was um, joining graphic novel forums, you know, and meeting other creators who are absolutely lovely people generally. Yes. So really, and, uh, unlike some areas of writing, it's a really <laughs> welcoming environment for someone that doesn't, you know, have any experience in that um, in that field, I think um whereas at a level with playwriting it is but also with playwriting it is very competitive so if someone hears about a commission they might not tell you until after the deadline's gone uh, yeah i mean that is that is disappointing to hear but i guess that's human nature isn't it really um but yeah i mean that's that's fascinating so in terms of that adaptation process uh the thing about graphic novels that's always struck me is that you've got to tell the story. And we've talked to um, graphic novel uh, producers over in... Literary Press in um, Ohio, was it? No. no they were in... Cleveland, no. No, 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 no. That's Cleveland, Ohio. No, no. We'll we'll get there eventually. Oklahoma. <laughs> Oklahoma. And, you know, the challenge there is knowing what words to leave in and mm, what exactly. and, yeah. and where to leave, let the image 
do the, some of the st- storytelling. Are you creating the art, or is, is someone else working with yeah, you? Yeah, I'm creating the art as well. Wow. So, okay. Yeah, um, it was something I used to do when I was young. I got I got completely put off of drawing um, for various reasons, and I've only just gone back to it. And um, yeah, really sort of loving it now. So. And is that using technology, or are you old school? Both, actually. So mm. I, I was doing it old school. I did the whole of the adaptation of My Mind is Free old school. Um, and then I had a go on Procreate on a on an iPad. And I was like, oh, no, I really like this, but I hate that I <laughs> like it. So, yeah. So now I do think it's a, it's a great tool, Procreate. Mm. And in terms of that wider issue then of tools, because there are a lot creeping in, you know, not creeping in, they're, they're smashing their way into the literary world. And and actually, uh, some of them very useful for people for whom you know they're fearful of expressing themselves on the in, on the page because of their grammar, for instance. You know, mm. necessarily get on top of it at school or whatever, or university or wherever they may have come from. Whereas now there are t- tools that do that for you. Is that something that you introduce in your courses? Is that something that you encourage, or do you? You know, I don't know. Not really come up, to be honest with you. One issue that we've been contacted about recently is AI writing stuff because we run yeah. a magazine as well. And we don't think we've had any poems or short stories that have been written by AI because I tried one out and I just wrote a couple of, well, I got the AI to write me a couple of poems and they were just nonsense. <laughs> so it might be a little while before it catches up enough to kind of like trick us. Because I know in academic essays, people have said, yeah, it's kind of a tutu. The AI can write about a tutu. It's just really sort of pedestrian. But yeah, it's it's a pass. Just not a very yeah, high pass yeah, yeah, at the moment. But who knows how quickly it's learning. Well, no. Yeah, indeed. Skynet's coming for us. Probably, yeah. Hey, 2019 has <laughs> been and gone. Yeah. yeah. There was a, an interesting article, I think it was The Guardian, where they... they um, they put side by side um, a classical painting by a well-known artist and the AI is uh, a, not the same picture, but a similar picture. And they had to identify which was AI and which was the real one. And although they got them mostly correct, that it was close, some mm. of them. And that's now. So, yeah, like you're saying, yeah. that if what they can do now is passable and mm. can fool some people. Won't be that long. And, and as everyone listening to this podcast knows, it's my pet subject. Yeah, with, with we, narration. we talk about AI quite a lot, don't we? Yeah, with uh, yeah, my my fear that they're going to get good at doing it. Um, but I, I would challenge any AI to have done the narration that I've been doing today. <laughs> which, Your voice is a bit crusty. You might uh, be able yeah, to yeah, it's that. just a bit crappy at the moment <laughs> because I've been I've had to do two major Roman battle scenes um, and shrieking away. So it's been um, it's been quite something. This is. Um, I mean, this is the thing, though, isn't it? Because with all forms of creativity, but with writing, in a sense, I guess the battle that we've all got as creative people is to uh, is to emphasise the creative human nature of what we do, the connect, you know, the the connection mm. of ideas, emotions, all the things that we treasure in reading and writing, and the spoken word and all that sort of thing over the people that we've already mentioned, certain chap in New York City with his millions, <laughs> and indeed celebrities being commissioned to put their name on the front and mm. having nothing to do with the rest of it. That's That seems to be the sort of barbarian hordes, if I'm using the Roman analogy, <laughs> that are riding over the horizon. 
at the moment. And I guess much of what you're doing is connecting people back up with, you know, actually bringing in front of them people who write and giving them the opportunity to write as well. Mm. So in a sense, you're reestablishing that connection, the creative spark, the idea, the pleasure it gives people. Yeah, that's really true, actually. That's a good summary, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think we want them to enjoy it like we enjoy it. So even if we're not necessarily ever going to like make millions from it, as you know, we still want to do it. I'm a poet, dear. I'm not going to. Well, exactly. I'm going to make two bob. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've written, I've written poetry, or at least something that um, sort of called itself that, since I was a teenager, and it Mm. was appalling, by the way. Um, But up until I moved to Medway and I met Sam, I did not have any outlet for it. Uh, I wrote it when I was up north, when I was a teenager, when I lived in Bridlington and Scarborough and other small towns on the coast. Um, there wasn't a scene. It did not exist like it does now. Uh, the students maybe had one, but they didn't talk to us. Uh, no. You know, mm. you, you, you couldn't get into that. There weren't open mics. There's a, I found out that a few years back there's a Bridlington Poetry Festival. Excuse me. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really really glad that that's happened and it's my ambition one day to go there and do it and just sort of dance around the sort of main square sort of making rude signs at the buildings um i mean when it, when i was there the, the idea of that i would have been able to do it in any way in bridlington forget it didn't exist time has moved on you've got more avenues now but until i came here and you know sort of ended up doing an open mic in eastgate house gardens i didn't realize you could do it and it's like you know so I've only really been writing sort of seriously for about 10 years, you know, and I kind of do feel like the middle bit was lost, you know, the bit where I would have progressed as a poet had there been any avenue back then. Um, you know, that bit where you, you know, I'm kind of doing it all a bit late. Uh, you know, I've already become a grumpy old man as a poet. I haven't yeah. been doing it that long. Ordinarily, that takes you decades. <laughs> um, <laughs> it takes you decades to get as Larkin-esque as that. Uh, but I'm, yeah. I'm kind of already there on that one. Um, but yeah, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of without without this the opportunity of working here with Sam, I wouldn't have been doing what I'm doing. And and it's you know uh, absolutely changed my life. You know, and I think it does for other people. Um, yeah, people have got involved in our projects, and they you know they've really enjoyed it, and they've carried on doing it. Some of them who got published for the very first time, or performed for the very first time, had never done it before. In fact, one of the people who came through Plant Grow Nurture, I think she got picked up as the commissioned poet for the WA in Kent. Oh, wow. which, is, which is quite, you know, it's not my cup of tea um, <laughs> or jam slice or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she's very happy with it, you know, and it got her off the ground. She's got a couple of books out now. She's doing the festival. That's brilliant. Well, yeah, one of the one of the support acts for Gerald Dickens, no less. Wow. wow. I've got to ask, her, what is it about Medway that, I mean, you, you did, never had the opportunities, and uh, when you were up north, but Medway itself, what what makes what separates it from from the rest of, say, Kent in itself? Well, time, time has passed as well. Yeah. Is this, that you know probably if I'd have ended up anywhere in about 2012, there'd have been more opportunities to do it. But, yeah. I mean, as, you know, as the butterfly flapping its wings, is that I met a playwright, you know, and then you know, and stuff like that. Sure. But, um, yeah, I think Medway does have something quite special about it. It's the only really genuinely built up conurbation in Kent. If you're not counting the London fringes, which used to be traditionally Kent, it's it's the biggest population concentration that there is. It's the most working class area 
yeah. in Kent by a mile, apart from bits of Thanet. Um, and it has got a heck of a lot of history. I mean, there, there was a really thriving poetry scene here in the 70s and 80s with Bill Lewis and Billy Childish. All that crowd, some of who are doing a thing for us. In fact, they're closing the festival. Because mm. they were the people who were involved in the thing 25 years ago. Um, you know, I, I picked up an old uh, anthology from that called Six Days of Hunger. And I'm just, I know these names. He lives around the corner. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's like, right, we're having them back. We're having, with the, to a certain extent, some of the Medway poets. We don't know exactly how many will ride again, plus some other people who were contemporaneous. But there has been a real sort of, all the way back through to the 1970s, there's been a really sort of thriving scene through those guys. You know, they, they used to tour nationally. They used to go on the South Bank show. Yeah. You know, this is 100 years after Dickens, you know, that that's been going on here. And it's had a lot going on. You know, you had the Navy here for 500 years. Yes. Then they were vanished they vanished overnight. Uh, it used to be this massive military town. Now there's one installation at Upner. There's very, very little of it left. Most of it's a housing estate. Uh, and a great deal of that's happened even since I moved here. Yeah. Um, it's gone through a hell of a lot of changes. So the, there is, there's a real sort of creative spark around the area. Yeah, and it's not just writers. There's yeah. visual artists, yeah. uh, 3D artists of all sorts. I, I don't know. Maybe it's perhaps because the pace of life isn't crazy like London. Yeah. So mm-hmm. in London, you can go somewhere every night if you wanted to. If we wanted to go to a poetry gig, we could go every single night in London. Yeah. But because it's not as busy as that, maybe you've got more time to actually think about it. Yeah. And maybe it's a bit more special if you go to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And yeah. let's not forget, you've got Call the Midwife being filmed around the corner as well. Oh, Call the Midwife. Oh, the dockyard, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah, we, we play games of, is, yeah. it, is, it, is, it, yeah. is it is it filmed at the dockyard or not? Yeah, we do. Yeah, if, this I, is a, yeah. if this is a 19th century scene in a movie or even somewhere yeah. slightly adjacent to that, do yeah. I recognise that building slightly? Yeah. I yeah. Thought That's I where I the ropery is. The, yes. the ropery. I love the ropery. We went the to see ropery, the ropery. Yeah. That's yeah. brilliant. <laughs> You've just you just woke up to the fact we remembered that the ropery was there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And there's a sub. There's a Russian sub you can go on as well. Yes. Uh, yes. We did, didn't we? Uh, no, we didn't. Uh, that was a British, British sub. Was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. It's British. Apparently. I don't know. It was a submarine. Yeah. I know that. But I mean, you know, we we you know it, it the area that we're talking about has also featured in a very very um in a very major way with one of our books. Yes. By Lewis Hastings, the um, Angel the, of Whitehall. The Angel of Whitehall, which uh, features some very dramatic and powerful scenes about people being trafficked from West Africa, and then basically uh, due to a fire, I think they get stuck in the in the in the Medway itself in the mud. Some of them survive, many of them drown. It's really powerful. And uh, wow. what Medway is that happening? Sorry, where where is what, it? It's, what era? What era? What era? Oh, it's modern day. Modern oh really? Day. Right. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We'll 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 send it to you. Yeah. It's it's a it's a terrific book. And um, yeah. The 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 uh, eponymous angel of um of Whitehall uh is this uh is this amazing uh old fella yeah i mean lewis is lewis has, has a lot of strong connections to kent so it's really powerful lewis and lots of, of your james bond actually lives near Stroud. right. Um, there's an awful lot of the early books. It's like, and he's, he's stuck in traffic on Rochester Bridge on the A2. Yeah. Before <laughs> before all that was sorted out, and mm. it all gets a bit mangled because Roger Moore actually did used to live near there. 
right uh, for a short while yeah <laughs> there's been some speculated fiction written about that ah awesome. yeah yeah and uh, and then what's the other thing you've got that um the one the other thing that uh that features in that book is the uh or at least i think it's the next one isn't the chemist um is the prospect of that World War II ship that you've got not very far from you, full of ammunition that might go oh, up? Oh, the SS Montgomery. Yes. Yeah, that's I've written about it. If you actually write anything around this estuary, you end up writing about the Monty. Yeah. Uh, it's our version of nuclear of, of the nuclear apocalypse because if it goes, well, she and S is gone for a start. Yes. Um, and if it catches the gas tanks over on Grain, well, you're rewriting the map at that point. Uh, yeah. It won't be the same shape afterwards. Uh, if no. Goes. They keep saying it's all right. Um, there's a recent prime minister uh, who's who's out of... Oh, he's about three ago now. I mean, it's, it's yeah. just... Uh, there's maybe in South <laughs> we, we're referring uh, to Boris. Boris. Yeah, he was, he, he was talking about sending someone to sort it out. And it's like, that does not fill you with, <laughs> with, with a great deal of confidence. Um, the MOD have basically been in charge of it for years and years and years, and they've basically always said, "Look, just leave it alone." You know, if it does, if it blows up and it's an accident, then it wasn't on us. But if we send anyone in there and it blows Sheerness to bits, mm. then that, then you know, we, we're going to have to the, the insurance claim on that's going to be quite hefty. Uh, so yeah. they've stayed away from it for decades, and like he's the first one. Oh, I'll sort it out. <laughs> <laughs> but that seems to have that seems to have gone on the back burner now, thankfully. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I do. I do remember that. I mean, not least because he wanted to put an airport in the middle of the Thames Estuary. Yeah. That's yes, that was one of his that motivations. Was, that's not down well on the peninsula at all. Yeah. Um, no, I dare say. Um, so let's let's turn away from that negative thing and let's look positively at the. Hmm. In terms of, I get the impression that you, you're building this momentum around the festival and. Hmm things have changed dramatically in the 10 years since you've put this together uh, as an organization and you know the, the momentum is with you are you feeling really optimistic about the, the the state of the written word at the moment yeah yeah i mean there's there's various different ways of it going on going ahead and going on um i think print unfortunately in many respects print is going to become a niche i think i'm not sure in poetry it will because there's people that are very emotionally attached to it now but even that's changing a lot mm. of the a lot of the poetry magazines either i heard ambits packing in um last week and i never thought i'd see the day when that happened but actually in hindsight i'd seen the way that they were marketing it they were clearly trying to do something different as a bit of a throw of the dice and, it, and it's not come off you know um yeah and you know you, you saw what next poetry review no, surely not. Well, you don't know. Um, mm. uh, I think a, a lot of things will just end up going online. Um, but it's people will keep writing. People will keep writing. There's always stories to get told. There's always people who can't not do it. Sure. You know, and, and they're, they're going to get together and do stuff. You know, um, the, the, the open mics that you have now are just really the equivalent of like 200 years on from a load of people that used to sit around a table and tell tales with people yeah. tankers like you know and people would go from place to place there were such things as ale poets uh that would go around and just do it for the beer which i pretty much that's been my career really that sounds good uh, i'd like to do that <laughs> the and, beginning and, of the festival is actually going to start like that we're just off down intro just dropping in places saying hey do you fancy a poem you know that's, yeah that's, that's no, how it's going to start um, i was going to say this it feels like a motto 
for us and possibly for you too, you can't not do it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I know where I am in the great scheme of things, and it's never going to be very very big, but I've got to keep writing. You know, so I couldn't couldn't do anything else. Same for Sam. Well, she might mm. well get big, but I mean, I won't. That's sure. very kind of you to say so. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's you, having another fight with graphic novels, so she's happy. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, look, um, I'm sure people have been had their interest peaked and, and want to know more about the festival. So, what, uh, where can they find your you Wordsmithery and and indeed the festival? What where, so where can they find that online? Check check out our website, which is www.wordsmithery.info, or you've got the Riverlit website, which is www.medwayriverlit.co.uk. Fantastic. Right. Brilliant. Now that leaves us one last challenge. One last question. Which here we go. Here we go. So it is Rebecca's random question. My next book is a book about senses that was recommended to me by somebody we work with, right? So I thought, which of the senses could I cope with losing out of the five senses, the classical five senses? Mm-hmm. And so my question to you is, if you, could, if you had to lose one of your senses for the rest of your life, which would you choose and why? Mm. Well, you know, to be honest, I'm, I think the ESP could go. That's why I said the classical five senses. No, you didn't. You actually didn't specify. And the question is out there now. Okay. Um, Yes, I, I, I sense that there was, that was why someone asked you to re, recalibrate your question. Yes, so Toby, um, my yeah, youngest, he uh, said he said there aren't five senses. There are many more than that. <laughs> I think there is something like about 27. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I can't. The second site, frankly, has been nothing but trouble. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't want it anymore. I thought I'd win money at the races and it hasn't even worked out on that. You know, so I, I, frankly, I could do without it. It's ruined my life, really. <laughs> good answer he's not going to sp- speak to the spirits anymore and sam no. it, well it is true you know the second site has been a bit of a bore hasn't it yeah. i mean yeah that's true um it's difficult isn't it um i had a friend who they lost their sense of smell yeah and it hasn't massively impacted on them i mean obviously it's an awful thing but to me, I need to be able to see, I need to be able to hear, I need to be able to taste, although smell uh, smell is linked smells to taste. Smells all wrapped, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So maybe, maybe smell would be like the least aggro one. And it's something that with like COVID, we, we're all at risk of losing, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the, the apocalyptic fiction is already being written. I'm sure in your head. I'm sure, yeah. Uh, on, on that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, there you go. We've inspired it. Well, it, it's been a really inspiring conversation. Well, how about you? So oh, uh, I'm not. We always answer it too, remember? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, hmm. Look, I've worked with enough people who've lost their sight to know that you can still have a really good life. But it's so important to me in mm. terms of my professional side of things, because pretty much everything I do is either working with words in terms of in front of the screen or um, uh, I guess, you know, when I was doing video editing, that was another side of the gig. So that would be difficult for me. So I think probably smells going too. I think for me. 
Yeah, mm. I mean, the, Toby also said to me that smell and taste are the same sense. And I said, well, when I was at school, we learned that we're five. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, smell for me too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, as I say, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. And we it's really wish you... Uh, all the best with the, with the festival, and you know, as we may well turn up and waving mic friends around with yeah. the guests as well. Look out for the yeah. Yeah. You, are, you are, as as they said in uh, a Clockwork Orange, you are invited. <laughs> Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. That was so inspiring. I, you know, anybody who is encouraging writing in that and with that inventiveness. I mean, the shed, brilliant, great, great. Um, passion for it but just such inventiveness and they have so much energy don't they they, they mm. their passion drives them and because they have jobs as well and they they do their own work and their own writing so as well as encouraging other people they still do their own um, yeah great interview yeah it was terrific i terrific. only wish we could go to all the festivals that we come across on this podcast <laughs> yeah well maybe we should just make it a sort of 10-year thing so that we get to them once in within 10 years yeah uh, who's our guest next week our guest next week is a gp turned crime writer called nick edmonds fantastic who is our second gp turned crime After writer Chong. yeah, After, yeah. Chong. yeah so it's a delight to talk to her a few weeks ago and yeah quite a few weeks ago now yeah absolutely well we'll look forward to that um we've got some further news actually we wanted to talk about which is publishing related and it's sort of uh it's got a strong personal connection to me uh and it's one of my oldest friends his his name is beach I've always known him as Beach. Yeah, we'd... his real name is Daniel. But uh, yeah, I know, when I meet him, I want to know why Beach. Oh, I've asked him this dozens of times. He comes up with a new version every time. <laughs> um, Beach is a cartoonist and illustrator of considerable repute, and um, not so long ago he started writing children's books as well, uh, including "The Dragon with the Blazing Bottom." What a fantastic title! Published by Simon and Schuster. And why we're so delighted for him is that. Uh, this in February, February the third, across Hull, they invited three thousand five hundred school kids to vote for books, uh, and this was chosen as uh, the let me see the Picture Book Award for twenty twenty three in Hull went to the Dragon with the Blazing Bottom by Beach. That's lovely, isn't it? Three and a half thousand. They actually had ballot boxes the whole lot, That's and sweet. this award. Sponsored by the James Reckitt Library Trust. Now, he was a Victorian philanthropist (laughs) uh, who established Hull's first free library and then left a sizable legacy that continues to support the local library service to this day. And it's inspiring to think that one person's act of charity can still benefit the community over 100 years later. What a fantastic accolade to, to win the Picture Book of the Year. It is. I mean, he was very proud, by, wasn't by he? Kids. Yeah, no, so. absolutely. 3,000 It's a brilliant idea. What a, what a wonderful accolade. It actually makes me wish I still had children of that age because they yeah. would have loved that book. <laughs> they would have done. They're absolutely right. Um, later this week, we're off to Exeter where we both met and uh, went to university, as you regular followers of the programme will know. Um, we're off to speak to... Students who are interested in getting into publishing. And we're going to say, don't do it! Something like that. <laughs> now, you're taking extra special care to make sure that what you pass on is the best possible yeah, advice. Because um, although I've been working in publishing for a very long time now, I it's quite a narrow area that I've worked in, but I also feel that I'm a little bit out of touch in from um, sort of what is expected of uh, graduates looking for a career in publishing. So I'm talking to somebody who... Um, she's actually the chief editor on the um, Writers Not A Sheer book 
So we're gonna she's gonna give me some advice on <laughs> what to advise these hopeful mm, students. No pay. Um, <laughs> yes, you're doing it for love. <laughs> so we look forward to that. So that's uh, on Thursday coming, and uh, you know it's always great. It's a quite energising thing. I mean, to to sort of meet people who are really still passionate. Yeah, but no, I mean, in all I've seriousness, done this, I've done this about talking about getting into broadcasting in the past. Yeah, and, so, and, and one of the things I did say was, "A, don't do it," and but only don't do it if you don't already do it. If you know what I mean, because at a place like Exeter, you've got opportunities to either write or be on the student radio station or the TV station. No, there. it's true, because I don't know if the uh, magazine Expose, as it was called then, is it's still, still going. going. Yeah, 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 I yeah. wrote for Expose, so that uh, yeah, and was I, my I, way and I in. was the programmes controller of University Radio Exeter, and that gave me my start in broadcasting. But, you know, if you're not doing it now, and, you know, if you just think or you fancy it, just don't do enough. it. not enough. But then again, enough. you know, in broadcasting terms, you don't need to be doing those platforms. If you're not doing it on YouTube and TikTok and all those sort of things yet, then why not? Why haven't you got your own podcast? I mean, yeah. it's crazy if you don't because you can do it with your phone. I mean, it's the things that we used to have to join a society to have access to, you now can do on your phone. It's, it's incredible, crazy. actually. The, yeah. yeah, how much has changed in that way that totally um, access was much more difficult. And you also fighting with lots of other people who were passionate about it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had some of the most incredible periods of sort of you know, fighting. And I've, I've got one, as many as I've got friends from the University Radio here, I've got one or two enemies, lifelong enemies, mm. because we fell out over things and we've never forgiven each other. And, um, you know, I keep bumping into one of the people in particular who's still a very well-known football commentator. Oh. <laughs> um, but he abandoned the, you know, he got became made sports editor of our student radio station and then got a professional job straight afterwards and didn't do the job and yeah. left us in the limbo. So I got angry about that, and quite rightly. And I still don't forgive him for that. So um, it's, it, you know, maybe one day we'll, 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 we'll get on with each other again. But, you know, these are the, that passion is what we're plugging into when we go to a place like that. Absolutely. And I say this to my children all the time. I don't care what you want to do with the rest of your life, as long as you're passionate and as long as you practice and practice and practice and practice, as much as you can, whatever it is, you will make it. Yeah. Well, look, thanks so much for joining us this week. We really appreciate all the comments and the uh, support you give us. Uh, we really do. Uh, both as Hobet Books, as Arch Publishing Services, our new publishing services arm, and for the Hobcast Book Show, of course, which goes from strength to strength. And we really appreciate the time you spend with us. So thank you for that. If you want to know more about us, go to our website, www.hobeck.net. All the details of our authors, our books, latest news, blogs, audiobooks, you name it, it's all there. <laughs> Warts uh, and all. Warts and all, indeed. And join us again for the Hobcast Book Show next week. So from myself, Adrian Hobart. And myself, Rebecca Collins, we wish you to have a wonderful and creative week. week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.